Welcome to the Philia Podcasts. We are the daughters of those women who came before us. It is our absolute honour to have met so many incredible women fighting for the liberation of us all. Our role at Philia is to amplify the voices of those women via the Philia Conference and these podcasts. Please take from them what you can. In sisterhood and in solidarity, the Philia team. Sally Jackson here, Philia volunteer, and I'm really excited to be joined today by one of my feminist sheroes, Kathleen Barry. Uh, Kathy, it's great to speak to you. Thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. My favourite subject, after all. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I was delighted to first meet you, um, I think it's scarily now, a couple of years ago, um, when you joined us with Philia and went through one of your Feminist Knowing to Action weekends, um, where a group of us learned so much um, about making feminism more about activism and using our our feminist knowledge and, and finding our feminist power. So, oh, that was that was a very special weekend. You all were just so wonderful, and I think you got a house together someplace in the right. country. We we're staying at a cottage, and um, yeah. it, it was that you know um, sharing food together. You know, getting up in the morning, having a cup of tea, and then you know the sessions with you. It was just a lovely way to spend a weekend. Oh. Yeah, it was wonderful for me to kind of touch in on it through Skype. <laughs> and it's crazy, you're on the other side of the ocean and a different time zone, but it felt like you were with us throughout the ocean, throughout the that's, the. that's what it felt like to me, yeah. Fantastic. So, and one of the things that happened for us at that weekend is that we did, um, for as a group for the first time, consciousness raising, and we're going to talk a lot more about that later. But I perhaps wondered if we could start with just talking a little bit about your history and and how you started your feminist awakening and some of the work that you've been involved in well it started with consciousness raising back in the late 60s i think it was around 1967 i was working with a group a, a civil rights group um in in detroit where there had just been a riot and it was all very tense time as it was all over in the 19, late 1960s. And um, a friend of mine in this group said, I just heard that there's a women's liberation group starting. And I said, find it. We got to get out of here. <laughs> and that was it. We went to we went to the group and. It was ipso facto consciousness raising. Nobody was talking about you do consciousness raising or not. It was just that's what happens when you get together with women for the first time and you all start talking about your complaints and problems and issues and anger and, you know, all kinds of things. And every people are going me too. That's what happened to me too. Or I know what you mean. I haven't had that experience, but I know what you mean. And there was that level of knowing that, you know, pervaded the whole room. And we were all, well, I went with a friend, but aside from that, we were all strangers to each other. And the next week we met and probably five or six of the women didn't show. We were still about 
eight or nine of us, which is a good size for a consciousness raising group. And we just then hung in together for the next, I think that was around 68, and I left Detroit in 72. It's about five years. And we just would meet every week or every other week, and we would do, we would go out and do uh, what we call zap actions, <laughs> you know, like um, we were out one night, we, we were meeting one night and we were talking about rape, which hadn't really come up as a feminist issue yet, but it was just starting to break. And so we hopped in our cars, bought some cans of spray paint and went and sprayed the university campus nearby would stop rape. And that's how we started, you know, and it, so from the beginning we were doing things, which is what I think sometimes women can confuse consciousness raising with a very serious intellectual pursuit of feminist knowledge, which is very good in and of itself. But the consciousness doesn't exist in the brain. There's no intellectual, you know, mm-hmm. no place like you can go in the brain and say that's where consciousness comes from. And so anyway, that's how we got started. And we just kept going from there um, because we're also doing actions that were fun in addition to really serious things. You know, so we'd we'd pull off different things. We broke into the Playboy Club one night with this enormous, that we made, enormous um, uh, paper mache penis <laughs> and developed this, this um, a chant. It was now is the hour to smash prick power and then we'd smash the penis on the floor and run out. I love it. And so we we just started like that and we were, there was so much like that action that needed to be reduced the issue needed to be reduced to the absurdity that it is a playboy club. I mean it's absurd, you know, and and we did that and and it was wonderful fun and at the same time, we would do, you know, um, we did a a march through Detroit in remembrance of the women who died from butcher abortions, you know. So we could yeah. we could do as serious as that and as silly as the other. We were all inclined toward activism, so we would start talking about issues, and then it would go right into what are we gonna, what can we do. What can we do about it? Absolutely brilliant. And and of course, part of that as well was you, you know, your writing and the difference that you've made with with some of the books that you put together and, and shared. And and again, not just on an academic level, but leading to action and leading to change. And I, I'm thinking especially of, of female sexual slavery and the work yeah. that occurred um, following the publication of that book. Yeah, that. It, you can't stay sane and write that book without having a plan for what to do about it. You know, it it can't just be, I mean, it's a feminist who cares about women and, you know, women's well-being and safety. 
you know, you have to have a kind of a, a plan for that. And so, yeah, that's what came out of that. And, uh, you know, part of the development then of the Coalition Against Trafficking. So, you know, from that book, a global movement that really yeah. continues to make a difference. I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking about this very recently. When I wrote Female Sexual Slavery, there was nothing in print in the English language on that subject. Nothing. In fact, I got some complaints from some men who bought it thinking it was going to be, you know, lascivious and all that crap. So we were we were talking about when the book came out and, you know, the the fact that through the coalition against trafficking, you know, there was a global movement. Suddenly people right. were talking about trafficking and doing something about trafficking. Right. And I was, that book involved me in several years of lots of lecturing. I was teaching at a university, but I was always also going off and doing lecturing in, in Europe as well as in the States. And the that lecturing would lead to, would connect to women who were wanting to do something about it. And some of them were women who had been in prostitution. That's probably been the most moving thing for me with that book, is the women who've come up to me and said, thank you, you heard my voice, you know. It just probably means more to me than anything else in the work around that. But it was that kind of a thing that was happening. And that, you know, you want to coalesce that energy. Absolutely. And and so important because still uh, those women that have exited are, are, you know, they're the voices that are seldom heard, aren't they? They yeah. silence very quickly by the, the huge corporates and the money behind the global sex industry. Right. Right. I, I think if you look at, I don't know, I haven't been in touch with her in a few years now, but Rachel Morin is a good example mm-hmm. of someone who, even before she started, well, while she started writing her book and her experience of prostitution, she had already connected with feminist work. That made, it, that made a huge difference for her and for us um, in having someone who could really speak from the experience, but as a feminist, you know. And so it, sh- it then shifted my role a bit of not having to just speak for the women who haven't been heard. But she came in and really became part of the encouragement of other women who have been in prostitution to come out and speak. And it's changed the planet. Absolutely. And some... Some fabulous work, and I, I have to also mention, with a, you know, a relation to Philia, your um, biography of Susan B. Anthony. Yes. <laughs> Which you know, I have with the the conferences. We've we were running them in in London for for a few years, and then it was it was your book and reading about Susan B. Anthony that spurred us to actually take the conference and travel it around the UK so that we could build the movement. Um, so oh, I- That is the main reason I wrote that book. When I really got familiar with her life, I thought, 
if feminists can read this, they could be inspired to do this. And she was really a very ordinary Quaker woman, you know, and she just had a set of ideas. And in that Quaker fashion, when you know what is right, you stick with it no matter what. And then out of that, we get a whole half century of her, her work. But yeah, I love my that biography. I that was when I was writing female sexual slavery. I promised myself that I would my next book would be the biography of Susan B. Anthony. That I would just give that to myself. It was the treat waiting for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you're moving Philia around the country. Yeah, every every year a different venue now. Oh, that's fabulous. It's fabulous. I've been. I had a a really nice uh, Skype talk with Lisa Marie. I don't know, maybe a month or two months ago. And so now, when I need to give an example of what I mean is, if you look at the women in the UK <laughs> and then start talking about what you've done with Philia, you Absolutely. know, and that's that's really exciting. It's it's lovely, and I say to see those networks building and the work that you then hear of women doing after the conference because right. they met and they you know they they found something in common and they've they've gone forward to it and and one of the things that we we are now also doing regularly at the conference is sessions around consciousness raising so you know we really do have an awful lot to thank you for Kathy you very much oh. shaping Philia as we move forward well it's mutual in terms of I just have a notion that just getting consciousness raising out there is enough to spark movements any place you do it. It's the foundation of everything. So if just sort of thinking of, of women listening to this today and they're thinking, so what is consciousness raising? You know, it sounds like it's positive. How would I start? What would you say to women? How would you explain how to how to set up their own group? I would, you know, you start by getting a group. That's that's where you start. I don't. And you get a group of like minded women in the sense that you all have some interest in feminism or some interest in making, you know, serious change for women. And it follows pretty easily from there because you get a group together. And the first thing you're going to do, just quite naturally, is meet someplace um, best in somebody's living room. And we're talking about a group of eight to ten down to four or five women. And somebody just needs to start the conversation, you know, why are you here? What is what is it that concerns you about women's issues and let it roll from there it will define itself fairly quickly because women come in with either one issue or one question and as they try to as each of them try to describe why they're there or what their concern is the room keeps getting fuller you know with everybody's got a slightly different angle from being there but with them, everybody, there's a connection. There's some connection that goes 
you know, deeper than uh, just, I want to find out more about this or that. Or, and when what happens very quickly, and I know we've seen this happen, um, is that in the very beginning, once women start talking about why I'm here, it gets very personal very quickly. And that's very good. But it may be more personal than women had intended or thought about. And for some women, it's so personal that they haven't thought about it. They've buried it in silence, you know. And then all of a sudden, kapoom, consciousness raising. And, well, I just discovered that and something, you know, comes out from there. Um, it's a very, very powerful tool that we have. And, and it brings women together even as women are going to their own separate individual experiences. Because in those individual experiences, there's some commonality. You know, if I start talking about when I was raped and you pick up on something that I've said and said, well, that didn't happen to me, but, but now I understand why I'm concerned about this or that. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting way that women pick up on what each other is saying in the sense that it doesn't have to be a direct, you know, I talk about this and then you talk about the same thing. It's just the talking about it brings into the consciousness of the group a level of vulnerability that's safe. Just the way the group treats it makes it safe to say it. And for many of us in the first consciousness raising, it's things you've never said to anybody before. Um, and sometimes have even passed out of your own consciousness. And I think one of the things that, I, I, surprise isn't the right word, but I, you know, I found sometimes when discussing something in consciousness raising, as you're talking, you kind of think, oh, I didn't know I was going to say that. Or I didn't I didn't know that was going to come out. And it's although it's you that is, is verbalizing it, it's actually phrased in a way that you've not heard yourself think about it in that way before, which is quite a learning. It's quite exciting also, mm. because, you know, some thinking is going on in there someplace. And it's it's now found a, a way, a platform, a context. Mm. Uh, to come out um, and that's the the thrill I think of consciousness raising is you're discovering things about yourself that you really haven't articulated needs or desires or whatever they might be at the same time that you're in interacting with other women who are making those same discoveries while you're all sharing with each other, you know, what you're going through. And invariably, you focus on what your common experiences are in the room. You know, um, so I start talking about this, and then you come in and something that relates to it for you, and then somebody else says, well, none of that's happened to me, but... 
what this brings up for me is and it just the 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 domain of consciousness can just keeps expanding and there's a there's a real level of of trust and sisterhood in the sharing of that information isn't there i think it's almost automatic i think that doing it in a consciousness raising group whether you even call it that or not makes the trust necessary and I've never had the experience of a woman turning on another woman in a group. I, I, women get upset and they might get upset with each other because things come out that they hadn't even thought about in years or something like that. And they're flailing around trying to figure out where to put this, you know. But I think the trust is, is automatic as soon as some women start talking about that which they're which is vulnerable for them that elicits other women's vulnerability almost as a necessity i can't leave her hanging out on that pole alone yeah you know and at the same time i've had a similar experience or an experience that's related to that and so just as it is in a normal conversation, you're in there for each other as much as for yourself very quickly and with a lot of sensitivity. And I think as well, it, it really helps us to frame the experience of, of living as a woman within the structural inequalities that there are, because that common experience or common themes that women will will recognize oh it wasn't just me that that happened to but other women have have experienced maybe not the same but something similar so then maybe it's not my fault maybe it's something to do with the external environment and what's going on in society as the reason why that's happened in my life or or that was witnessed by me or or whatever it was precisely it's not just any long, as soon as another woman says, oh, something like that happened to me. And she's put her vulnerability out there right next to yours. You have a kind of, um, it's shared consciousness. Mm-hmm. There's a new book out that I've just finished reading. Um, the, it's called The End of Upside Down Thinking, but <laughs> the title is a little frivolous. But there's a lot about consciousness in this book. And one of the things that's pointed out is one of the hard problems, it's called a hard problem of science, is they can't find consciousness. There's no evidence that it's in the brain or that it comes from the brain. And yet we know it and we know it in consciousness raising, but we know it in our daily lives being conscious of this or, you know, aware of that. And I think that's fascinating because I think what it points to is the kind of universality of consciousness. One of the terms I like to use when I'm talking about this is, I, I use the term shared human consciousness. And that's because we all share consciousness. It's not just... I bring my consciousness to the group and you bring yours. And it it can't be cut out into the individuality that our societies 
shape around us. Yeah. In that sense, I think when I'm in a in a consciousness raising group or just with a group of women and somebody's talking about something that happened to her, I can experience her experience of it. It's it's more than just hearing it, isn't it? It's yeah. almost palpable. Yeah. And I think this is a really important point. It's it's palpable and it's she's talking about something I'm entering into that experience we're sharing the consciousness of it and not like making a carbon copy it takes different forms when i enter into that consciousness or somebody else comes in and enters into it um so we have a very very extremely dynamic force consciousness is a very very dynamic force it's not confined to individuals it's among us all and we all participate in it what better thing to have in trying to bring women together to work together against patriarchal domination it's almost like foolproof 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 (laughs) absolutely and it and it equally because of that lead so well into the so what are we going to do about it rather than it just being that kind of sharing and and thinking about things but actually leading to leading to action itself right this is this point really has to be stressed a lot because i know some women who are really well read in feminism are activists are involved with issues but in the climate that they live in, there's been no real interest or possibility of consciousness raising. I try to prick at that a little bit and <laughs> push it along. But, and, and so what I see is women who have a very strong intellectual and emotional grasp of feminist issues. But consciousness is another thing. And I think there's ways that women can mistake really good intellectual, critical analysis of patriarchy with consciousness. Certainly all the critical analysis and all the writings that have been done contribute, but it's not the same thing. It's just not the same thing. And you're not going to, I think, where I experience it is not being the same thing is especially in the relation to other women. You know, it's more about having good intellectual discussions and doing programs and projects, but doesn't let you stop it. That's what they're doing to us. And intellectual awareness allows you to stop there. But consciousness doesn't. It's not sufficient to just go, this is what they're doing to us. And now we've lost our funding and we don't know what we're going to do. And on and on and on. Um, Consciousness is your lifeblood in a certain sense. You know, a lifeblood of your actions and activism. And without it, things dry up 
you know there's something for me it's almost like the with the you know the consciousness raising is is a feeling and because it's because you can feel it it makes you want to do something rather than it just I'm saying just being and I don't mean that to minimize it but but only an intellectual exercise it's much more visceral than that wonderful point because the feeling is the consciousness Mm. you know I mean nobody knows what consciousness (laughs) is I mean where it comes from um but it that is the consciousness and you can feel it rising up and I have to do something and you know I live alone and uh, there's no there's no consciousness raising around here um or groups like that but i will see or hear about something and immediately sit down at the computer and have to write something you know and send out to deal with it um because my consciousness won't let me just sit with it 